he gave us a path to righteousness, which is in his son, Jesus. So if you were to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Remember I said earlier today, there's two sides to this coin. One is that you would surrender your life. God literally expects you to sincerely, not, not that you have to be perfect in your surrender, but that you would sincerely confess your surrender of your life to him, your will to his will. That's half of it. The other half is that you have to truly believe that Jesus is the full payment for your sin debt to God and that you place your eternal trust not in anything that you would do, but what he did, the manner of his life, the perfect life that he lived, the way that he died, the fact that he was resurrected, literally resurrected from death to life and then ultimately ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. That's kind of how you get there if you're not in Christ to get in Christ so that you're saved again. That's an important context to have as I talk about sin. So what's the purpose of sin? Any sin conversation with somebody who hasn't made that confession of faith, the two-sided coin to Jesus, it only has one purpose, and that is to demonstrate to them that they need a Savior. Not that they have to stop doing all their sins because they can't get saved by trying to stop doing all their sins. Uh, Romans 3.20 says, Because by the works of the law, no flesh, that's no person, no flesh will be justified, made just, right before God. For the, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So any sin conversation to somebody who's not already given themselves by faith and by surrender to Jesus is a waste of time unless it just helps them to understand that they need Jesus, that they can't by their own works get saved. So then... If the conversation with somebody who doesn't know Jesus isn't about sin, even though sin is the reason why they can't be with Jesus, what's the conversation that you would have with someone like that? Let me read you some scripture. Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners... <laughs> sinners. Arr. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him, in this case him as Jesus, to listen to him, and both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. It's almost like Jesus is this guy who's got the answer. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders are like the Merry Christmas people. And then the sinners are like the Happy Holidays people. And the, these religious people are like, Oh, look, he's sitting with all those Happy Holidays guys. Doesn't he understand that they're Happy Holidays people? And Jesus is like, That's exactly why I'm sitting with them, is because they're Happy Holidays guys. Exactly the reason you ought to be sitting with them. So what do you think the conversation Jesus is having with these sinners and tax collectors of all people? You think they all want to be with him so he can tell them about their sins? And you did this and you did this and you did this and you did this. And because you did that, you're going to burn in hell forever. What do you think about that? Can we have lunch tomorrow? Of course not. Who would sit with somebody who thought it was their lot in life to tell them how bad they were? Nobody would. And that's not the conversation Jesus had. The Bible teaches us that Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. He told them about this awesome kingdom that they weren't part of, but they could be part of if they wanted to. And then he explained to them how that could be. Let me read you some more scripture. Acts 8.25. Now this is... The context of this is the book of Acts is like the church is born. Jesus is ascended to the Father. He tells the disciples to wait for him in this room and that sooner or later the Holy Spirit would come and that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit with power to be his witness throughout the whole world. His witness means to tell the world about him. So that has happened. Now they're actually going about doing that. What's the conversation? 
So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So they're preaching this message called the gospel as they're going back to Jerusalem through all the little villages in Samaria on the way. Again, a little bit later in Acts chapter 8, verse 40. But Philip, the evangelist, found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel for all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So again, the, the preaching, the proclamation, the conversation that they're having is not about people's individual sins. It's this thing that they call the gospel. Mark sixteen fifteen. Now this is Mark, the gospel of Mark, which is purported to actually be Peter's gospel dictated to Mark. The Great Commission is where Jesus, at the end of his ministry, just before the very uh, ascension, he tells the church what it is they're supposed to do. And this is the way we see it in Mark. And he, being Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So the message to somebody who doesn't know Jesus is not about sin, it's the gospel. And, and I'm going to share with you this other conversation about sin that we have. Um, and it turns out that's the one I'm going to elaborate most on today because that's just where the message went. So next week, I'm going to study. I never could get comfortable that I could rightly articulate the gospel in a teaching manner to you today. So I'm going to talk about the other side of the coin today, and next week we'll d dive deep into the gospel. But let me give you a taste of the gospel. This is in Acts chapter 17. It's the Apostle Paul speaking. He's in Athens, Greece. It's a really cool story. He's in Athens, Greece, and, and the Greeks were these studious people. You know, they sought to understand. They sought knowledge, and, and they would get together, and they would ponder things and talk about things. And these smart guys are in the process of doing that when the Apostle Paul comes, and he gets anointing from God to be able to share the truth with them. And this is kind of how the conversation went. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, they have all these statues to their different Greek gods, the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with the inscription to an unknown god. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all the things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps... They might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As even some of you, excuse me, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are all his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by, formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now then, 
or excuse me, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So here's Paul explaining to these people that are kind of like happy holidays people. They have all these gods, and they try to worship all these different gods, but they got one, just in case they missed a god, they have this one altar, and it's to the unknown god. And he's like, listen, I'm going to explain to you about this one you call the unknown god, who's really the only true god. And it's, it's a piece of Paul declaring the gospel good news. He didn't tell them about their sins. He didn't tell them about all the things they were doing wrong. Once they came to a place of believing in this unknown God and, and the truth that Paul was telling them, then the grace of God bring, brings them to a place of starting to understand other questions. See, the, the Gospel of John tells us in two different places, in chapter 6, I believe, that no one comes to the Son, actually comes to the saving faith in Jesus without being drawn by the Father. So it's actually an act of grace that God is putting on that conversation that allows the person even to have a, a concept of what you're saying. So you don't have to try to sell somebody the Gospel. Because God has already placed a grace on their understanding that if they choose to want to know, remember he said if they would seek him out, if they would grope for him and really want to know, he's going to make it so that a person can know. I, I, I studied this week because I really thought the gist of this message was going to be about the gospel, but I, I just couldn't get there. But one of the things I did get was a cool video. How many have heard of a guy named Vody Bakum? Kim's heard of him a lot. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a cool guy. I clipped a little video to give you just another taste for when we talk about the gospel, what it is that we're saying. And then I'll move on to part two of the message. Understand now, Vody Bakum in this video is not talking to some guy in the street that doesn't know Jesus. He's talking at a conference to pastors and church leaders. So he, the the strength of his speaking is because he's speaking to people that should understand, not to somebody, he would be much more tender, I think, but it gives you a really good picture of the truth and the gospel wrapped around it. So if you would, hit the play on that. We must communicate the content of the gospel, not just talk about the gospel or around the gospel, but we must communicate the content of the gospel. You know what's amazing? There's a whole lot of gospel talk going on right now, and that's a good thing. But what I notice is that oftentimes, with all the gospel talk, there's not a whole lot of gospel. Amen. We must communicate the gospel. We must communicate to men that they are lost in their sins because of the fall of our first parent, Adam. They need to know that. You are ruined. You don't just need to be improved. You need to, you need to be made over. You can't get there from here. You're a sinner. They need to know that. They need to hear that. God is just and righteous, and not only does he judge theoretically, he's going to judge you because of your sin, because of what you thought and said and did. You should have died in your sleep last night, but God gave you another day. You need to beg him for forgiveness because you're ruined apart from Christ. And here's what you need to know. He died for the sins that you committed, not for his own 
But by his passive and active obedience, he purchased full and complete righteousness that he might impute it to you and then took upon himself all of the guilt that was necessary as a propitiation to a righteous God whose wrath must be poured out on sin. And it is only when you acknowledge your sin, turn from your sin, and call on this Christ who died and apply that to yourself that you have any hope of being saved. Now, if you guys could just invite your neighbors over for coffee and say that to them, okay? You should have died in your sleep last night, except the righteous God loves you and he wants to spend eternity with you. So if, if the conversation about sin isn't really an appropriate conversation with an unbeliever, is there any place where that conversation is appropriate? Let me read you some more scripture. 1 Timothy 5.20 Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. 2 Timothy 4.1-4 Now this is Paul discipling his son in the faith, Timothy. It's beautiful. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom preach the word Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Reprove, to reprimand or to censure. Rebuke express sharp disapproval or criticism of someone because of, excuse me, their behavior or actions. Exhort to strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. Let me read you 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. This almost kind of brings together the conversation, a perspective on the conversation you would have with somebody outside the church being the body of Christ and somebody inside the church, which is the body of Christ. I wrote you in my letter, this is Paul again, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and the swindlers. Remember Jesus, right? He was eating with sinners and tax collectors. Paul is saying, not those guys you don't disassociate with or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother If he is an an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. So just like Jesus, Paul's teaching us that the conversation about sin and judgment is not outside the church. It's inside the church. If there's an appropriate place to have a conversation about sin, it's with each other, about our own sin, about our own shortcomings. And it's not for the purpose of, of um, beating somebody up you know, so you can feel good because they have a sin that you don't have. The Bible really, really speaks strongly against that. We aren't judging the person, but we're definitely called to acknowledge the sin so that the sin can stop 
so that the person can be free, so that they can be more intimate with the Lord and more useful in his purposes. Important to remember, the discipline of the church is for the purpose of turning from sin and to holiness consistent with the believer's confession. Remember, every one of us that would claim to be saved, to be born again, to to have heaven as our eternal destination, confessed Jesus as Lord over our lives. Any time we sin, we are acting outside of that confession. Let, let me read you just a couple quick scriptures about confession. First Timothy chapter six and verse twelve. Again, Paul to Timothy. He's telling Timothy, "Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses." Hebrews chapter four, eleven through fourteen. Let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall. Now, speaking to the church, through following the same example of disobedience. So you'd have to read this in context to understand exactly what that is. But there's an issue of disobedience. He said, be diligent. Don't fall into this issue of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him, God, with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. See, it's not a man's heart that confronts a a brother, the sin in a brother's life, but it's the word of God. If you were to read in John 3, you know, everybody knows the scripture, for God so loved the world. It continues on. It's like Jesus says, I didn't come to judge the world. The world is already judged. It's judged by the word of God. It's the word of God. If I were to confront you or you were to confront me in my sin, you don't confront me out of your heart. You confront me out of the word of God. So you can show me that my behavior is outside of my confession. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. This one is really excellent. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What the scripture is teaching us is that on this side of the coin, with regard to a conversation about sin, that it's important for us to be together. Because if I separate myself from you, and nobody's watching me but me, it's very easy for me to rationalize certain behaviors that lead to these fortresses and strongholds in my mind that we prayed about, and then I can find myself in a sinful lifestyle, maybe not my entire life, but some area of my life, whereas if I was fellowshipping and we were interacting with one another, my sin wouldn't be hidden from you. Even though I may hide it from myself, it wouldn't be hidden from you. So it's important that we fellowship together for the purpose of holiness. Because anything outside of holiness is disappointing to God, but it's harmful to us. It hurts us. Stimulating one another to love and to good works, helping each other hold fast our confession of faith. Hopefully, through these, never needing anyone to have discipline. See, when, when Paul says about this idolater and this, this bad person that's within the church, 
bring them up there, expose their sin to the whole church so that everybody else will be afraid to commit any sin. That didn't happen the minute they found out that whoever this person was had a problem. Because Jesus teaches that church discipline happens first one-on-one, then a few-on-one. So if I have a sin problem, Joe comes to me and says, Pat, listen, you know what? I can see that this part of your life is outside of God's will. How can I help you to get back into God's will in this area of your life? And I say, go away. I don't want to hear you. So then Joe goes and he finds somebody else. He says, hey, listen, I tried to help Pat with his sin, but he wouldn't listen to me. Maybe if you two guys came with me, he would. And then he brings two more guys and they say, hey, Pat, listen, you got this thing in your life. You may not be aware of it, but it's outside of God's will and you really need to repent from that. Oh, man, thank you so much. Pray with me. And I repent or I don't. Then the next level of discipline, all again for the purpose of bringing me back to holiness so that I don't harm myself or my wife or my kids or you in my sin is to expose it before the whole church and then ultimately to put me out so that you will see it's bad to sin in the church. Now, sadly, in our culture, I could stumble drunk five minutes down the street and walk into 10 more churches. It's a problem that churches got to be careful of but the point is not for, for me to be embarrassed or shamed. The, pro- the point is for me to repent so that I can live in holiness and I don't have the problems in my life that come with sin. So the gist of today's message is that there are two conversations. There's a conversation we have with someone who doesn't know Jesus. That conversation is not about their sin. That conversation is the gospel. That conversation is that God loves you But you're on this path of destruction, the same path I was on, the same path every person was on. Let me explain to you the good news, and then you can choose if you want to get on a different path. That's the conversation outside the church. But the conversation about sin inside the church is absolutely appropriate because we've agreed to this covenant with God that we would surrender our lives to Jesus and his commands, and then we're supposed to help one another to hold fast to that confession. Does that make sense? So if you have to tell me about my sin, I have to humble myself and listen. If, if, if I have to tell you, if I say, whoa, and let me tell you, the hardest thing, the hardest thing, about pastor. And now, you know, I'm not like the guy who's been a pastor for 100 years. Next month, it'll be six years. But six years is plenty of time to see a lot of pain in people's lives and a lot of misery in people's life. The hardest thing about pastor is to see the pain in somebody's life and the torment that comes with the pain and say, listen, I don't know that I can necessarily help you with the pain because that's an external thing. That's your whatever person. That's, I don't know, but the torment I can help you with. And this is what the scripture says. And if we can just surrender ourselves to don't return evil for evil, don't return insult for insult, consider somebody else more highly than you consider yourself, I can lead you out of the torment and then God will help you with the pain. But when you let that fortress get so big, it's like I'm talking to a rock because the response, and that's how I know the fortress is so big because I know Holy Spirit is in there. And I know Holy Spirit is anointing the conversation because I'm just sharing scripture. I have experience with when we do it, it's wonderful. Things get better. But when the fortress is so big, here's the first word that I hear. Three letters, one syllable, but. It's always, it's always the same, but you don't understand my pain. It's like, I can't understand your pain, but I do understand how you can get free of the torment. But you don't know how they treated me. I, I, I just, I just want to go, ah! because 
All of that is acknowledging the lie instead of acknowledging the truth. And, and literally, once I had to have a conversation with my wife, my wife would love for you to minister to her, but she's not that crazy about it when I do it. But she had been so hurt by people, so hurt. I mean, people treated her bad that she had started to guard her heart. And, and she would not give love because to give love is to expose your heart. And to expose your heart gives the opportunity for someone to hurt it again. And I said, Therese, you're in sin and you need to repent. How am I in sin? I said, because you're guarding your heart. And when you guard your heart, you're not loving and you're commanded to love. But if you love, you expose yourself to pain. But that's the only way that we can be. So I had to address this in her. And I love my wife so much because she didn't want to hear it from me. But she always, she literally, my wife locks herself in the closet. And she won't come out for like all day long asking the Lord and he shows her and then she does deal with the stuff. I mean, it's amazing the hurts and the pains that have been in her life that she's overcome because she's submitted to the truth. But at first she needed someone to help her. And that's what we're to do with one another. In love, we have to share the truth because it's only by way of the truth that we're going to get out of these situations. And I've seen... So many examples of people that surrendered themselves to the truth. And it doesn't always make the pain go away, but it definitely makes the torment go away. So, church, in love, in humility, understanding that we are all messed up ourselves in areas that the Lord hasn't even shown us yet. When we address somebody else, that's the way we do it. In love and humility. But it's necessary that we do. If we pretend like we're just going to, ah, you know, they don't want to hear that. My wife will get mad at me. Then things don't get better. And when they don't get better, they don't stay the same. They get worse. Okay? All right. Outside the church, that's next week. I'm going to figure out how to rightly articulate the gospel for you next Sunday. This week, the fact that there is a conversation about sin, that's in the house together. That's not for them. Because they haven't signed up for Jesus. And if they haven't signed up for Jesus, who are we to judge them? They didn't sign up. They got no obligation to Christ. They're going to be judged, but that's between them and God, not us and them. Amen? Okay. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the moving of your spirit. Thank you for the courage that all these different people had to come up and, and, and take a stab at what you were trying to say through the tongue with the interpretation. And if we listened closely, we would see how they all dovetailed so nicely together and how they dovetailed with the other things that you were saying today. So Lord, I pray each and every one of us, for those of us that are part of your body, that have made the sincere confession, that we will grow in humility, that we will repent from everything that you show us, Lord, and that as you use us to help one another in this area, we will do it in love and that we will be humble if anyone has to address that with us. And then, Lord, I pray that you will teach us how to share your gospel in an effective manner so that every person that doesn't know you will at least have the opportunity to choose. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Hey, have a happy new year. Be careful if you're on the roads New Year's Eve. Some people will not be driving their best. All right, take care.